Hiya, Ed here with your friendly reminder to check the show notes for any content warnings related to this episode of the Unbreakable Movie Chain. Also, just in case we've fucked up massively and made any big old spoilers related to any other movies, we'll pop those in the show notes too, so you can consider yourselves fully warned. Thank you, enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to The Unbreakable Movie Chain, the podcast where, episode by episode, we review and break down a movie based on a link to the previous episode's movie. I'm Ed Howells and I'm joined by my co-host, Madeline Gould. How you doing, Gould? Well, you know, I'm feeling triumphant. I've had some rum and I've watched this film <laughs> and I'm very excited about it. <laughs> uh, so usually we will record in the daytime and it'll generally be quite a sober record. But uh, this evening uh, we're recording, so we're taking advantage of that and uh, getting tanked up. And now I'd just like to say to the listeners, it might feel like uh, we're putting a lot of padding in here at this particular moment. Um, that might be because neither of us have watched fucking anything at the cinema. <laughs> no, I haven't seen anything at the cinema. I've not, do you know, I've not even really watched any telly because no. well you're up to your neck in rehearsals i've just got a puppy and yep. <laughs> <laughs> the first few days of having him me and him did watch very hazy early morning the university challenge which was a very odd <laughs> but it was quite soothing and sort of background and that worked quite well um but no we've li- i've not watched anything of you ed uh, no i've not sat down and watched a movie other than the movie that we're covering this week which i've watched twice of course. Of course. Well, there's a, um, there's a whole lot of movie there to digest, Ed. I, d- mm, I, I mean, <laughs> I did need to watch it twice, to be honest with you, just to know what the fuck was going on. Um. <laughs> I mean, um, shall we just crack on without further ado? If we've... But well, bef- Yeah, just before we do do that, um, I've not actually sat down and watched a movie. But um, as you know, I'm in rehearsals mm-hmm. at the moment. A lot of the director's points of reference when going through stuff and talking about the way the comedy works is cinematic. Uh, so he he talks a lot about um, animated movies, uh, but he also uh, talks a lot about real classic Hollywood comedy, mm-hmm. which has led me to go back and just not not watch like the whole films, but sort of revisit uh, scenes and sequences from sort of Marx Brothers movies and uh, Chaplin and stuff. This an absolute feast of this stuff on YouTube and some of it's quite dated. Mm-hmm. I mean, like it's hundred years old. What'd you expect? Yeah. But the, the, the sort of bones of comedy are, are there and actually a lot of it does still hold up. Like Chaplin as a performer, I'm not, I'm, I'm more of a Keaton fan. Yeah, I am exactly the Chaplin same. Fan. Yeah. But some of those sequences are wonderful. I'm thinking particularly like the, the factory sequence in modern times mm. is a thing of beauty. Yeah. The boxing match from City Lights as well, which is, uh, it's really good fun. And yeah, Marx Brothers, uh, like Duck Soup is a movie that I grew up watching as a kid. It, it, it does, I think, hold up. It's, it's interesting because I think I think that's on the BFI's list of greatest films of all time. And I think that's the one that they, that, that is sort of championed as the best. I mean, the, the sequences, the jokes are brilliant. I mean, the, the, fa- the famous sequence from that is the mirror routine between uh, Groucho and Harpo. Basically, a mirror gets smashed at the start of the routine and Harpo is sort of hiding in Groucho's house. Groucho's like the ambassador to Fredonia. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
basically, once this mirror has been broken, they contrive to make it so that, that Harpo is Groucho's reflection in the mirror and he copies everything that Groucho does and it's just the most beautiful routine that goes to just the most absurd places and they end up sort of circling round and round and round on either side of where the mirror should be. And then, then, then Chico runs in at the end and sort of spoils the illusion for everybody. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's great. I'll... Um, I'll put, I'll put a link to that uh, yeah, a YouTube clip in the show notes. Fabulous. I mean, you definitely can find a worse way to pass some time than by watching some of those, just even clips from those fantastic films. Like, you know, just watching a YouTube compilation of Buster Keaton's like practical stunt work, it oh will God, yeah. blow your mind <laughs> what these guys did. Mm-hmm. Really incredible. Now, years ago when I was doing The Play That Goes Wrong, I, um, I nicked quite a lot of stuff from Keaton sort of pratfalls and things that I was doing in that I <laughs> take it absolutely yep, I'll have that I think it's something because um, um I it's great stuff oh you know obviously talking about Chaplin I often think of the film Chaplin with Robert Downey Jr um Attenborough's um yeah, film which I've never seen um I can't actually remember if it's any good or not but Robert Downey Jr is fantastic in it and one of the things he's particularly mm. fantastic at is all of the physical comedy stuff there's a bit at the start of the film where he's in London and he's in a box playing an old drunk man and the audience don't realise he's a plan. Yeah. And then he makes his way to the stage. He like falls out of the box and is drunk and makes his way to the stage. And then you realise that he's actually part of the performance. And it's just like, God, Robert Downey oh, cool. Jr. is a really good physical comedian as well. You sort of think of him, you know, mm. being Tony Stark in his um, in his T-shirt. But it, you sort of forget <laughs> that he's actually, yeah, this fantastic physical performer. So Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a fair bit of slapstick in, um, is it the first Iron Man movie? I think it might be when he's first developing the armour. Yes, yes. And he can't quite get it right. And it's knocking him all around the room i mean a lot of that slapstick's kind of uh, cgi yes but... yeah 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 um but it's yeah, it's great it's still good stuff yeah yeah maybe we'll come on to chaplin one day that'd be an interesting one i think um kevin klein plays douglas fairbanks um and there's quite it's got a really it's got like a good a good cast and it's very pleasing there's a really there's a pleasing section where he kind of gets a part in a film and you see him go into wardrobe to choose his bits of costume and you see him put the tramp yeah. together um it's kind of like you know when doctor who goes in to choose what he's going to wear and whenever he regenerates yes. it's a bit of that moment you know and you sort and it's like oh there's the cane oh there's the hat oh and you see him kind of <laughs> alter he's walking along in silhouette and you see him kind of altering the way he walks in silhouette into that tramp walk mm. and it's just yeah it's great it's really good do you have a favorite chaplain i don't know how well you know chaplain. no i mean to be honest i mean i have seen a lot of them but quite a long time ago and i have to say some of them sort of all blend in for me what about you i've got a soft spot for the gold rush I, I don't really know why i think there's just something about the plot speaks to you more it just grabbed me and that's the one with the potatoes on the forks where he does the little sort of potato feet dance thing isn't it it's yeah it's lovely <laughs> but like i said i'm a, I, I prefer buster keaton myself yeah uh, yeah at some point we're gonna have to maybe watch some keaton i think we probably have to maybe we'll do the general at some point yeah oh we must yeah definitely and, you know, very like uh, the film we're going to talk about today, Ed. They're almost identical it, films. Sorry, is, is Fast and the Furious also on the BFI's list? Yeah, right. It's <laughs> I think right I up, missed that entry. It's up there with, you know, Napoleon. And, it's uh, time for me to crack open my second beer. Fabulous. Well, Ed, um, cheers. Which I think means it's time for us to talk about what we came here to talk about. We absolutely have to. <laughs> So, Ed, um, right. what are mm. we here to talk about this week? Well, we are here, and it was 
for some reason, my pick. <laughs> it was a proper down-to-the-wire choice as well. We almost watched something very different. Uh, we Yeah, very much did. Um, no, we are watching The Fast and the Furious from 2001. <laughs> so the link... Uh, we watched Pleasantville on the last episode. Uh, the link was... Paul Walker, who played, uh, what was his name? Skip. Chip, or Skip. Skip, that was his name in Pleasantville, Skip. Skip something. Uh, yeah, and he obviously is the star of The Fast and the Furious. So, uh, we're going to begin with a timed synopsis, <laughs> and um, I am going to impose a hard limit, just like I insisted last week. Me and Richard went and walked the dog earlier, um, having watched mm. it last night, and I was like, right. I'm going to tell you what I think happened and I need you to chime in with um, additional thing because I, 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 full disclosure, I don't understand the plot of this film. <laughs> okay. Oh, I, 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 I texted you yesterday just saying how excited I was for your synopsis of this. Absolute nonsense. <laughs> right. The film is 106 minutes long. So you have 106 seconds. That is, yeah, one minute and 46 seconds. Three, two, one. Okay, it's 2001 in LA. Um, There's a truck driving along with a load of DVD players in it and some people in cars with a harpoon gun rob it. Cut to... Brian, played by Paul Walker, is driving his green car. Um, He seems to be doing quite well as far as I'm concerned, but he's cross because he's shit at it for some reason. Cut to uh, uh, Paul Walker turns up at a little cafe where he orders a tuna sandwich and he meets the crew um, who are all um, identified by the colour of their Hot Wheels-esque cars. Um, uh, Otherwise, they're fairly indistinguishable apart from Michelle Rodriguez, who's the woman one. Um, Then um, Paul Walker's flirting with Mia, who's the kind of sexy girl, and the shithead Vince beats him up, and there's a lot of dirty talk about the tuna sandwich, and everyone's very cross. And then Dom, who is um not Ving Rames, <laughs> the other one, what's he called? Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel um it turns up and is like, You're fired. One minute ago. And then um oh my god, I've not got any time, Ed! Basically, he's an undercover cop. Um, Paul Walker's an undercover cop and he wants to infiltrate the gang, which he does. And then he's torn because he either needs to do them for all the robberies they're doing or um, not do them for all the robberies they're doing. And he doesn't do them for the robberies they're doing um, for some reason, because all of them seem to be charmless as far as I can tell. So why this cop wants to fucking... (laughs) Let them off the hook, I don't know. But anyway, there's lots of babes, there's lots of cars, and there's also a street, a a motorcycle gang um, who were involved somehow. And the big dramatic climax race is a thing called Race Wars. I can't, I can't, Ed, I can't. Three, I can't. Two, one, stop. Um, It's interesting that you're referring to Vince as the shit because I've been referring to Vince as the furious. I think he is the titular furious. furious. Yeah, that does make sense. Yeah, I mean, he is just... The rest of them are the fast and he is the the furious. furious He just wanders around the whole film just being furious and punching Paul Walker. In a film filled with problematic characters, he is the walking red flag, isn't he? Like, (laughs) Jesus Christ. Right, we've got so much to talk about, I think. I'm glad you think so. Shall we have some housekeeping? Let's have some housekeeping just to kind of simmer us down and, um, you know, stop us from getting too hysterical too quickly. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so, uh, The Fast and the Furious, uh, it had its premiere on the on June the 18th, 2001, at the uh, Man Village Theatre. Uh, I think that's in Los Angeles. 
It then opened on June the 22nd elsewhere in the United States and went on from there. It was directed by Rob Cohen, who <laughs> uh, had previously had a couple of hits in the 90s with Dragonheart and the Sylvester Stallone disaster movie Daylight. Do you know Daylight? I know you're a connoisseur of 90s disaster movies. I don't know Daylight. No, I don't. Um, that's the one where uh, Sylvester Stallone and a bunch of other people get trapped like in a tunnel or something. Oh, no, have I have. to make their way to Daylight. I have seen Daylight. I wouldn't say I know Daylight. Dragonheart, however. Dragonheart was one of my absolute staples growing up. Was it? I think I think Jem's the same way. I love that film. He also, he went on to make Triple uh, X. So the the, the genesis of this movie is quite interesting because so it, it was inspired by an article in the Vibe publication uh, by Ken Lee. Uh, the article was titled Racer X and we're going to discuss that a little bit. It's a sort of interesting, quite recent phenomena, this uh, making a movie inspired by an article rather than a book or something more long form. It's just like, oh, here's a thing that exists. Let's make a movie out of that. Yeah. The sort of main, uh, the only word I've got for this is culprit. Uh, the only, the main culprit when it comes to the <laughs> screenplay is Gary Scott Thompson, who, yeah, is credited with uh, doing the story and screenplay. So he's got a credit on both story and screenplay. He is also m- uh, most known for outside of this, uh, the <laughs> Kevin Bacon Invisible Man movie, Hollow Man. Yeah, which... <laughs> You know I love a Paul Verhoeven movie. Oh, um, I know, yeah, yeah. I, like, I adore Paul Verhoeven. I'm, I'm not entirely sure I need Hollow Man in my life. <laughs> the screenplay also has contributions from Eric Birdquist, uh, who has done almost nothing else, mm-hmm. uh, and David Ayer, who is most notable as the uh, writer for Training Day, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is terrific. Uh, he also uh, did Fury, um, and he was the director of the utterly dreadful Suicide Squad. Oh dear! Right, okay. But that—that that was an abomination of a movie, and it wasn't, as far as I can tell, his fault. Because, mm. as far as I understand, the studio took the film out of his hands and uh, gave it to a company to sort of do a bodged edit on, and it was a company that like just produced adverts. I have to say, I haven't watched it. I haven't engaged. Honestly, one of the worst films I've seen in the last. 10 years. Gosh, wow. Yeah, David Ayer also uh, has directed this year's uh, Beekeeper, which I know you're very excited for. I mean, yeah, Jason Statham, love him. And Jason Statham, wasn't that, that, was, that was on your list, wasn't it? Um, it was an honourable mention. you're looking forward to. Yeah, um, it looks ludicrous, so I'm uh, it looks perfectly happy. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to pay money yeah. to go and see it in the cinema, but I fully look forward to watching it one night on the big get telly. Get some pizzas, get some beers. Exactly. Lovely. Laugh at it, um, get confused. Exactly. Uh, he's also working on a remake of The Dirty Dozen. Okay. Which, I don't know, might be interesting. Have you seen the original? No. It's great. I really like The Dirty Dozen. I just, you know, make a fucking original film. Do you know what I mean? Oh, well, yeah, but... In, in a world where that's not going to happen. Oh, well, actually, to be fair, he's made The Beekeeper this year. That's true. Uh, how, how, how original that will actually be, who knows? No, but at least, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's not a re- it's not a direct remake. Do you know what I mean? It's got an original yeah, exactly. title. Yeah, the character's got names we've not heard before. That's quite nice, isn't it? You know, new people to <laughs> yeah. get to know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, carry on with the housekeeping uh, before I get bogged down in David Ayer's CV. Um, <laughs> the quagmire. <laughs> the, oh, indeed. 
Nah, he's, I, I, I don't mind David Ayer. I think he's made some interesting stuff. Anyway, uh, director of photography is a chap called Erickson Kaur, which fabulous name. Yeah, if we had an equivalent of the Spicer Lovejoy Hall of Fame for people's actual names in real life, then... Who was the yeah, other one? Erickson there was Kaur one, was be... there one in... Um, who, there was there another was one. Who was that? I can't remember which which episode it was that we were, when we were talking about. There was someone with an absolutely ludicrous name. Oh, sorry, just to interrupt. Um, When we were talking about The Wizard of Oz, the costume designer, Adrian, I, oh, yeah. st- I watched the first half of of the Laurence Olivier Pride and Prejudice the other day for some reason mm, and okay. had to turn it off because it was so awful. Uh, but he did the costumes <laughs> and I was like, oh, Adrian, I now know who you are. Sorry, that was probably terrible <laughs> slander, but it was terrible. <laughs> what, what, saying that that Pride and Prejudice is terrible? I mean, I'm sure it was. Anyway, uh, some of Ericsson Corps' uh, other credits include the... Um, Samuel L. Jackson, teacher in a rough area drama, 187. Yeah, okay. Uh, which I think I watched on Channel 5 a while ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, he also did the the Mel Gibson movie Payback and uh, the Ben Affleck starring Daredevil. Ooh, okay. Not his fault. It's perfectly fine DOP. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. Sure. Absolutely. So we've got the editing team of uh, Peter Honus and Dallas Puitt. Uh, Peter Honus, uh, other credits include LA Confidential and Troy and also Percy Jackson, The Lightning Thief. Dallas Puitt, on the other hand, did Deep Blue Sea and one of my actual favourites, Demolition Man. Oh, yeah. Is that um thing? Is it Sandra Bullock, Demolition Man? Yeah, Sandra Bullock, yeah. yeah. It's um, uh, Stallone oh, yeah. and Wesley Snipes. Also, I think I think the, the fellow who plays the warden in Shawshank Redemption. That's just popped into my mind. I think he's like the police captain or something. I might be misremembering. Um, but yeah, I really like Demolition Man and it's great fun. It's like the future and they have sex using like VR headsets. It's great. <laughs> it is great. For me, I mean, the, the most iconic bit of world building in that, for my money, is the three seashells. So St- Stallone goes for a shit, having been in having been in um, cryo sleep for like 80 years or something. He goes for a shit and comes back going, there's no paper. And they're all like, what are you talking about? He's like, there's no paper. There's just some three seashells there where the toilet paper should be. And they just all start laughing like, he doesn't know how to use the three seashells. <laughs> and it's never explained. Yeah, it's wonderful. Love that, love that. (laughs) Anyway, the uh, production design is provided by uh, Valdemar Kalinowski, whose credits include uh, Crazy Heart, Stigmata, and uh, one that we've avoided in the past when we've had the opportunity, uh, the Britney Spears movie Crossroads. Uh, Do do you remember when we avoided that in the past? No, when did we avoid that? Uh, It was somebody on the Virgin Suicides. Oh, um, yes. Worked on that, yeah. Oh, it was costume. Um, It was costume, wasn't it? I'm going to skip over the art director for a moment, purely because the set decorator, Florence Fellman, is actually married to the production designer, uh, Valdemar Kalinowski. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Put them... Together, yeah, and she's worked with him. Uh, she worked with him on both Stigmata and Crossroads. So maybe this is the week for Crossroads. Who knows? You don't know what I've chosen. I've never then. seen it. I've never seen it. I couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> I've got no idea. I've got no idea. <laughs> Actually, I think I might have caught a bit of Crossroads on the TV once, and was like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> <laughs> I think it was one of those that I was like, "Oh, is this? Is this that Britney Spears this movie? Is the, this is Crossroads. Uh, amazing." So skipping back for a moment, uh, back to the art director, uh, Kevin Kavanagh. 
I'm going to say that again. Uh, Kevin Kavanagh. Yeah, he's got a really great CV. He's worked on Mission Impossible 3. I think Mission Impossible 2 as well, actually. Um, he works on The Dark Knight and 8 Mile. Mm-hmm. He's also gone on to be a production designer uh, on Dark Knight Rises, uh, John Wick 2, 3 and 4. Oh. And also The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, he's yeah going places yeah, in that yeah. world. Uh, costume provided by uh, Sanya Milkovich-Hayes. She has costumed the entire franchise. She's been the costume designer on every episode. Every episode? Sure. Every episode. Why not? Episode. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> but yeah, she uh, a couple of other credits. Blade. Also, the Ashley Judd movie, Along Came a Spider. Oh, love that. Uh, yeah. I think it's Ashley Judd in that one, in fact. I, I refer to all of those movies as Ashley Judd movies, whether she's in them or not. She is actually in that one. Like Some, some of them have got Angelina Jolie in, but it's still an Ashley Judd movie. Do you know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. And Ashley Judd is in films that aren't Ashley Judd films. She's in. Um, she's very good in the Cole Porter biopic, De Lovely, but that's not an Ashley Judd film. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. <laughs> Peak Ashley Judd film for me is Double Jeopardy. That is the absolute quintessential Ashley Judd I, movie. Yeah, I really like that film. It's great. It's yeah. really good. Maybe we'll come mm. on to that one. Day. Maybe we should. I think we ought Yeah. And finally, the music is provided by BT. Righto. BT. Um, that is Brian Wayne Transell, who goes by BT. Like a bacon uh, and tomato he... sandwich. Oh, I was thinking more like British Telecom. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how our brains work differently. <laughs> Apparently so. <laughs> anyway, so, some of his other music has appeared on the soundtracks for Blade 2 and The Core. He also composed the score for Monster. Oh, okay. Good movie. The cast, we've got Paul Walker, plays Brian O'Connor. Vin Diesel, not Ving Rhames. Sorry, (laughs) I don't know where that came from. Dominic Toretto. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Michelle Rodriguez is Letty. Jordana Brewster is Mia Toretto. Rick Yoon is Johnny Tran. Chad Lindbergh is Jesse. So he's the one who's got ADHD. So these these characters have just got one name, so I'm just going to clarify which ones they are. Johnny Strong uh, plays Leon. He's sort of the other one who just hangs around in the background. Yep. And Matt Schultz is Vince, or as I like to refer to him, the Furious. The Furious. Vince. Now, you can um, distinguish all these people by the colours of their cars because uh, they've very thoughtfully coordinated mm. so that they don't all have the same colour car. Well, yeah. So Letty's got a red car. Jesse's uh-huh. got a white car. Jesse is the one who's played by an actor who isn't Giovanni Ribisi, but basically is Giovanni <laughs> but Ribisi. But he's giving a Giovanni Ribisi performance. Yeah. You're absolutely right, yeah. <laughs> Vince is driving a blue car. That's Vince the Furious. And um, mm-hmm. the other one uh, drives a yellow car. And I can't remember, <laughs> even now, what's he called? Leon. 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 Leon the professional drives a red, a, a yellow car. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is just like fucking Hot Wheels, honestly. It's so stupid. So, okay. oh, well, well, I mean, we've, we've, got, we've got that to come. There is a Hot Wheels movie in the pipeline, isn't there? Oh, God, honestly. Right, okay. Yeah. Um, all right, a bit more of the cast. Uh, uh, the rapper Ja Rule plays Edwin. Um, he's the one who loses the race. So there's a lady who promises him at the start of the race that he can have her boobs mm-hmm. and the boobs of somebody else. No, just one boob. Is what I think she's she said. can have one of oh, her just boobs. One. Yeah, one of her boobs. Oh, okay. And then, but then she also suggests that, that somebody else is as well. Yeah, someone else's boobs. Uh, okay. But then he loses the race mm-hmm. and she's like, eh, I was just joking. You can't have any of it. Yeah, no boobs for you. So yeah, ba- bad times for Ja Rule. Um, 
the actually quite good. I think uh, Noel Guglielmi, uh, who plays Hector, I quite like him. He he shows up in a in a few things. Yeah, um, quite often as a kind of g- a gang member. Um, but he's he's always really watchable. He's got a really warm presence. Do you know what I mean? Like he's yeah. got a re- like you. I'm very. I was very drawn. Oh, he's in um, loads of the Fast and the Furious films. I'm just looking through. Oh, yeah. he's in the Purge Anarchy. Yes, you're a fan of the Purge films, aren't you? I really like them. Yeah, I really rate them. Have you ever seen any of them? Uh, yeah, I saw the first one. What did you think? I thought it was alright as a sort of uh, yeah sort of siege movie it sort of wasn't what I expected it wasn't what I anticipated yeah. like I anticipated actually what I anticipated was more like some of the subsequent ones where it's more of what's in the world whereas that first one is really very contained it's a ve- it's a very kind of yeah contained little sort of domestic yeah. um, siege movie exactly like you say whereas um yeah. The second one that is proper like downtown LA, um, and you see how the purge is like disproportionately affecting people living below the poverty line and people of color. And then um, the, the the most recent one, which is basically where the party, the new founding fathers, are out of government, and so the purge has been cancelled. And then people who want to purge just decide to keep doing it, and they basically take the country. And it's about oh, wow. a group of immigrants desperately trying to get out of the country and it's like Mexico are like we are going to close our borders in eight hours and then and it's it's fucking amazing it's it's a really good film I rate all of them they're all really really good they're all really different they're sort of Trump era movies aren't they oh real, yeah um... absolutely there are dissertations to be written about it very much so yeah absolutely yeah no I really like them so just uh, just rounding out the cast uh, we've got Tom Barry plays Agent Bilkins we've got uh, Vito Reginis plays Harry. And we've got Buffalo Bill himself, Ted Levine, plays Sergeant Tanner. Danger. Ted Levine's in it. He's so weird. He's such a weird presence. He's got such a strange voice and face. He's great. He's got an incredible (laughs) voice. I love him. He's so good. The film was made for a budget of $38 million and it took at the box office a frankly unreasonable $207.3 million. (laughs) Are you furious about it? I... No, I'm not. I'm not fit. No, because I think I know exactly why. Right. Why? It did so well. And I think I know exactly why it has spawned a sort of endless franchise into uh, forever. It's because I think it delivers exactly what it promises. So it tells you that it's going to be a film about cars going really fast. And that's all it promises. It says, it says, you'll see some cars. They'll look cool. They'll go fast. What more do you want? It's a film that was uh, sort of marketed and sold as exactly the film that it is. And as a consequence, it found its audience immediately. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's a film called The Fast and the Furious. I know exactly what to expect. Yeah. Great. How, how did, what were your thoughts? How did you feel about it? Um, it was almost exactly the film I thought it was going to be. I have to say, I yeah. think just knowing how many it spawned, I was surprised by how basic it was, actually. Uh, Sorry, I don't mean basic. That's not fair. I was surprised by how kind of low-key the story is. There was less kind of stunt driving than I thought there would be because Mm -hmm. I thought that the mechanics of the heist and the stunt driving around that I thought that would be a much bigger part of it. And maybe that's something that they then build on as they go through the franchise um, and make that a much bigger part of it. I think I expected more bombast. Yeah. But that's more based on what the franchise subsequently, I think, Mm. is. 
than actually what its roots were. So if I sort of put my head back before any of what has followed, and I'm just watching this actually sort of mid-budget movie, mid-budget action movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly, exactly the thing. Well, sort, sort of like, actually, sort of like what we were just talking about with The Purge. Yes. That first Purge movie isn't what those films would grow to be. It's a very sort of small, contained, actually on a shoestring budget. Well, and also, I mean, you know, a film series that I've talked about before... Um, as one I love but um, not dissimilar to Saw coming out around the same time that thing about like actually you think of the Saw films as being something and if you watch the first one it is a very very different film to what you think based on what the mm-hmm. franchise became I mean I was still I was baffled I didn't understand what was happening I, t- I, t- I, tell, you what, I tell you what did surprise me I didn't expect to be as bored as I it's was it's so boring <laughs> I was so bored. I'm so glad you said that. I was I so was bored. so bored. You know, on medical soap opera, where mm-hmm. you can tell that they've learnt the words, but they don't understand what any of it means. And I was, as I was thinking this, I was like, oh my God, if I had to be in one of these films and say all of these lines, I'd be terrible. I wouldn't be able to remember what I was saying because it's yeah. all nonstop boring car jargon. I was once at a party, right? um, stood between two chaps discussing the tyres that they'd just got on their bikes. And that that is what the Fast and the Furious reminds me of. If you ended up trapped talking to any of these people at a party, you would be You'd be texting someone saying, please, can you come and save me from this person? Yes. At the same time, like if, if you are sort of into all of that, if you're into if you're into cars. Sure. And cars driving really fast and know about this stuff. I'm sure all of that. Yeah. Sort of engages you and sort of means something. I don't know a thing about cars. No. I, not, I, don't, I can't drive. I don't know. No. Yeah. I don't, I don't know anything about cars. So... It was all a little bit lost on me, if I'm honest. And it was the way they were talking about the cars. There were several things about the film that just made me think, God, this is all so tragically petty. Like, they're stealing DVD players. Do you know what I mean? Mm. They're not stealing diamonds or like gold bullion or... And also, like, it isn't even just DVD players. Some of them is the little TV that's got a video player built in, Ed. It's not even that good. And then then it's like, oh, they're having a fight about a tuna sandwich. Like, oh, oh. We'll, come on, we'll come on to the tuna sandwich in a little bit. Oh, my God. But it's like, this is yeah. all, the, like, this is so petty. It's, it's, it's remarkable, actually, how sort of how sort of low-key a lot of it is. And this is something um, that comes out of the, the original article. Like, none of these people are driving, like, plush cars. They're all, they're all in, like, Honda Civics and stuff that they've souped up. Part of the point and the pride is to get the shittest car you can and make it be the best car. Yeah, well, you've got that weird scene. You've got that weird scene in the movie where they pull up next to a, next, next to a Ferrari. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Paul Walker says to the guy, nice wheels, how much does that set you back? And the guy turns to him and says, more than you can afford, Ferrari. And he's got his babe in the car. Like, this whole yeah. film is just this fucking parade of shit cars and babes and it's men wearing enormous baggy clothing 
and babes <laughs> wearing leather miniskirts and all the babes want to be with you because of your cool car. It's it's the most adolescent movie I've ever seen in my life. It, is. it, it exists in a 14-year-old boy's yeah, uh, brain. That is exactly it, what this film is. It felt like watching a kind of 14-year-old go like, oh my God, it's so cool. Because And then, and then, and then, and then. Watching these grown-up professional actors try to make sense of this dialogue is fucking hilarious. This is also part of the thing in the article that you sent over that's like Mm, the inspiration for this film. It's so about proving power and acquiring status by proving power. And the only way that you can prove your power is to have the fastest car. And you're like, I would love to know from anyone who actually was part of the community who did this drag racing, if, if any of them could comment on the kind of accuracy of the portrayal of that culture in this film. Because to me, it, it seemed utterly implausible. Oh, I I mean, speaking, speaking as a man, it absolutely is plausible. It's all bravado. It's all dick swinging. It's all, it's rutting stacks. It's all proving who's got the biggest dick. But why are all these women standing around being impressed by that? Like what? Oh well, I mean, I, I, I can't speak to the to, to the women in the film. I mean, the the writer barely wrote women into the film. No, he didn't. Like Michelle Rodriguez spends the whole film just glowering at people. Well, she has got the most fantastic like resting bitch face of any actor. Oh, yeah. It's it's extraordinary. Also, like it wasn't enough for the women in the film to literally be currency. You know, like I will reward you for winning the race with sex from my body. Um, You can touch my breast if you win this race and I can take that away if I want to. And that is a thing. But like, it wasn't enough for that to just be how women are represented in the film. Vin Diesel actually has to say to Michelle Rodriguez, you are my trophy. That was a, that's a line in the film. Like, just in case we plebs didn't get it. Oh my God, it's extraordinary. (laughs) (laughs) It really is. Yeah, no, no, no. But Michelle Rodriguez, the the women who matter, Michelle Rodriguez and Mia, they have got personalities, you see, because they can drive the cars fast. Oh, does Mia drive cars? Yeah, after her date with Paul, she she drives that car all wild. Oh, she did as well, yeah. Sorry, I won't have come to that part in my synopsis because um, I <laughs> ran out of time and got confused. Um, uh, yeah, what was 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 there anything else in the article that you wanted to highlight? I just thought they all sounded really dreadful. Like, I don't want to meet any of these people. Do you know what I mean? Oh no, I want nothing to do with any of them. No, it's um, awful. Yeah, and no. uh, there was a line in it about how, like, yeah, he has no desire to get arrested. So why are you fucking doing it then, you moron? Like you. You're going to kill someone. Yeah, it's interesting. I think the ending of the film is an interesting one that we will come on to. I'm like the post-credit sting. I'm very intrigued by that post-credit sting. You know what? I don't think I even saw the post-credit sting. Didn't you? Did you just turn it off as soon as you could? Yeah, it got to the credits. I was like, that's that done. Okay, Ed, (laughs) did you get any pleasure out of watching this? No, I really didn't. I I was bored throughout. I found the characters kind of hateful. I found the dialogue laughable and... I found the action set pieces, which is the whole point. I found them kind of dull. Like, okay, so so the, the film opens with this heist sequence, which I have written in my notes. Not a very exciting heist sequence because it's meaningless. We don't know who these people are, what they're stealing, or why we should care. The stunt driving is the focus. And that's the whole thing. Like, it's all about just watching cars do 
some stunt driving. And yeah, yeah like that's there's some impress, but it, it means nothing. It has no impact on me watching it because like, OK, that's some cars going fast and weaving in and out. And I think I think in that opening sequence is the one where there's one car that's driving underneath yeah. the truck. Which I'm like, oh, that's... That's nice. That's quite impressive. All right, whatever. If you compare it to... um, So The Dark Knight opens with a bank heist that you get to sort of... There's there's a real pleasure in watching that Mm. plan come together, that heist come together. Um, And you don't necessarily get to know any of these characters, but you feel like you do, even in these sort of like tiny three-second snapshots of each of them. You're like, okay, I understand who this is. This is some like faceless guys in cars going and there's a truck and who gives a shit but also it's kind of it's unimaginative and baffling because the mechanics of this these heists that are being carried out that are so upsetting that the fbi are involved in what seems to be a very well financed operation considering what they're stealing is dvd players but yeah it's kind of like their thing is that they have these the stunt drivers and they weave in and out and they've got a harpoon gun that they fire into the cab of the truck and then they steal the van that's that's what happens but the, one of my big problems it's a little bit like you know with found footage where there comes a point where you're like mm. why don't they just stop filming <laughs> yeah <laughs> every time with this the whole way through i was like why don't they just stop driving why doesn't the trucker just brake and stop driving <laughs> well yeah I mean, like what what, <laughs> what are the stakes with this truck driver i know like if you're driving a truck and there's guys firing harpoon guns at you just fucking just park up park up my stuff in the back of this truck i know like have it yeah this is in sh- i don't bleh, who cares it. i don't care but also like why don't they just Drive alongside and point a gun, a gun at him and say, pull over. Rather than faff yeah. around with a harpoon gun. Getting out there's the sunroof well. with a harpoon gun. Like, what? Two harpoon guns, because there's one harpoon yeah. gun to take the windscreen out and another harpoon gun for him to jump onto the cab with. Why? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, yeah. and the the truck drivers, as the film goes on, it's like, oh, well, now, they're, now they've got guns and they're really mean business now. And I'm like, uh, hang on. <laughs> Are we really... Making this movie where um, these just sort of regular working stiffs, these ordinary truck drivers, are the antagonists. I'm sorry, are, they, are these the bad guys in this movie? What? What is this film? I know. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, no. They're going to go vigilante and start shooting people. It's like, well, yeah. And like the guy at the end, the truck driver at the end, who's got the fucking shotgun that he's firing. Mm. It's like, break. Yeah, just <laughs> Stop. Stop driving. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Well, also, I think part of the problem is that we're supposed to buy in to the idea that this cop is so mm. enchanted by this group of criminals that he mm-hmm. doesn't do his job. He risks his career to protect them. They are yeah. the most boring, surly, charmless, rude dickheads. Yep. So what is it that he's seeing in these people? I've got, I've got. Dog, like Vin Diesel is like this fucking juvenile petrol head Fagan with all of these sort of <laughs> boring car nerd 
children that he's got on it's like that scene at the barbecue where he says to the guy like ah because you're the person who reached for the chicken first you're the one who has to say grace it's like he's got this sort of moral code that he lives by and they're all like fawning over him he can command them to do his bidding but then what does he say he's like oh none of them mean anything to me the only thing that matters in the whole world to me is the 10 seconds i'm driving a bit fast and then he's like and he's like oh yeah no michelle rodriguez the woman who has been my partner since we were teenagers. Yeah, we're going to go to Mexico together. You won't have seen this because it's the post-credit sting. It's Vin Diesel driving around in Mexico on his own, say reinforcing that message that, yeah, the only thing that matters to me is that 10 seconds. And you're like, well, fuck you then, mate. You've abandoned these people who are like your quote unquote family. This is one of the only things I knew about the Fast and the Furious going in was that it's all about like, Family. 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 Also, Vin Diesel. If Vin Diesel didn't have that gravelly voice he would be such mm-hmm. a dweeb like he would he, he his casting would be entirely different yeah he he doesn't have a huge amount of gravitas we just, like you would yeah. expect you would expect him to have he's got he's got some pre- it's weird sometimes sometimes in some scenes you think yeah okay yeah you've, I get you've it. got a bit of yeah i get it i get what's going on here and then other times yeah like you say he he holds himself like a dweeb he's a dweeb and he's a man who is out acted by his vests um yeah i think uh, i think think it's important that we have a couple of definitions actually um at this point because just there's so much jargon and bullshit in this film so one of the important things that comes up is the concept of a 10 second car it's never explained really what a 10 second car is so i had to uh look that up thank god you did that i did so a 10 second car very simply a car that is capable of doing a quarter mile drag race which is the kind of dra- uh, kind of race that is depicted in the film in ten seconds? That's quite fast, isn't it? Furiously fast. <gasps> oh my god, that's the name of the film, Ed. All right, I might try and do some maths right now and work out extrapolate how fast that is. Hold on. Well, okay. How do I work that out? A mile and a half every minute, wouldn't you? <laughs> Oh, 90 miles an hour. A mere 90. Okay. That's not that fast. No, I mean, some some of the cars that are described in the article are getting up to 160, which I was like, that's mental. That is mental. Well, actually, to get up to that in 10 seconds is quite impressive. <gasps> yes. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Great. There's also, um, they keep they t- keep just talking about NOS. I know. Saying, we need NOS. NOS. Let's get NOS. <laughs> there's one scene. There's one scene near the beginning where Paul Walker goes into an office and sees sees the the boss at the uh, car shop, and he he says to him, "I need Nos." And behind him on the wall, there are like three posters of just the word Nos. I'm like, oh, Nos is important, is it? I would absolutely love to. I'm sure someone's done it. Is count the number of times that someone says Nos in this film. Oh, and f- so for um, for us uninitiated, what is Nos? What's mm. that all about? So uh, Nos that they're referring to is uh, ni- the nitrous oxide system. Right. So essentially, it is a, a, a fuel injection engine that nitrous oxide is used to uh, fuel your driving. Um, nitrous oxide, uh, mostly known at the moment uh, as being the, the scourge of the Daily Mail people, um, because that's what uh, all of the kids are vaporising and putting in balloons and sucking up and they leave their little canisters on the street. Those are little nitrous oxide canisters. Right, okay. Also, um, in World War Two, nitrous oxide was used uh, to fuel some bombers. Right, okay. Uh, so, yeah, it, it has been used for plane fuel and it basically, it's a thing that makes it go really fast. Big go boom gas. Um, I think 
we need to <laughs> discuss the tuna sandwich scene. <laughs> right, okay. So, because okay. For context, we've um we've been introduced to the concept of the heist. Um we've been introduced to our main character, Brian. We have the sexiest mm-hmm. name. And um it is the sexiest name. Isn't it? Paul Walker plays Brian. He is driving his green car real real real, real fast. But oh, real fast. So fast, but so, for somehow, somehow it goes a bit wrong and he's cross anyway. And then he mm-hmm. consoles himself by going for a tuna sandwich. And then, I mean, how would you describe this scene, Ed? Right, well, <laughs> I would, well, <laughs> in a word, I would describe this scene as nonsense. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's it's ludicrous. Paul Walker goes to this, what is it, a cafe, a bar? It's a sort of bar, isn't it? It's like a sort of cafe, um, bar, grocery store. He he walks in and uh, uh, Jordana Bruce, Brewster's there. She is She plays Vin Diesel's sister. And she's like, oh, so she knows his order, which is like a tuna sandwich or something. And he's like, how's the tuna? And she's like, terrible, same as yesterday. And he's like, I'll have the tuna then. So I'm like, okay. This is really weird. And so, and yeah, and the whole time Paul Walker is sort of looking through, there's a, a window at the back and Vin Diesel is sat there facing the other way. So you can just sort of see the back of Vin Diesel's head and you're like, oh, that's an important person. Yeah. Clearly. But then the rest of the crew arrive in their car and Furious Vince, he says the following. <clears throat> <laughs> he says, what's up with this fool? What is he? Sandwich crazy. <laughs> what? <laughs> and then he goes up and sits... So- Right, we we are led to believe from the exchange mm-hmm. between Paul Walker and Jordana Brewster that maybe the reason that he is going here, he's been going there every day for three weeks and ordering the tuna sandwich with the crusts cut off. Oh, that's right. Because yes. he's an infant. Because he's a child. Yeah. Um, and uh, they're, they're yeah, all on, on mighty white, I presume. Yeah, uh, presumably. Yeah, <laughs> milk bread. Um, yeah. And he's gonna have a um, what's it called? The um, the milk the milk lolly afterwards. Um, um, oh yeah, little mini milk. Mini milks, delicious. They are delicious. <laughs> Children's <laughs> ice cream. No, um, yeah. So it, it, we're 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 led to believe that he's going there because he fancies Mia, and he goes there to hang out with her and flirt with her. Now this this rubs Vince up the wrong way because he's got designs on Mia himself. He yes. he fancies himself a bit of Mia. Mia's not interested, but Vince nevertheless is extremely territorial around her. Uh, he's real pissed off that this uh, this guy's sniffing around. And so he goes up to him and they kind of, the way, it's a cafe, but you sort of sit at the bar to eat your sandwich. So Paul Walker's sitting at the bar eating his sandwich and uh, (laughs) Vince goes up to him and sort of, you know, like how a cat sort of bats at things with its paws. He Mm -hmm. bats a little bowl of sauces over to him in a sort of a territorial get away from my girl way but it's yeah. it's a little dish with sort of sachets of condiments <laughs> and so Paul Walker pays and leaves and Vince just beats the shit out of him <laughs> yeah they just they yeah they have a fight over nothing a tuna sandwich and all of them are like ho ho you know what's yeah. he what's he like Vince well and, well, and then yeah Vin Diesel comes out to break it up and he says to Paul hey, you work for Harry don't you and Paul's like yeah he's like well you don't anymore Oh, okay. So Paul Walker has frequented his establishment, paid, been a gentleman, then been beaten up by Vin Diesel's psychotic man child. (laughs) Yeah. And then he gets sacked for it. But then he drives to Harry's anyway and is just like, I'm not sacked. uh, 
I'm not sacked, am I? And Harry's like, whoa, whoa, you know what Dom's like. (laughs) Again, I think, unfortunately, the fact that it's a tuna sandwich, like, it would be so much less absurd if it was, like, an actual bar. Do you know what I mean? But it's, like, the middle of the day and it's a tuna sandwich with the crusts cut off. And it's a whole plot point, this tuna sandwich. Like, the, the quality of the tuna in the sandwich is, like, a thing that is known among the people of this cafe yeah well that's it he, he like furious vince is is like what are you coming around here for eating tuna all the time and he's like well i just i really like the tuna and he goes that's bullshit nobody likes the tuna here <laughs> it's, like, it's like bad improv it's it's like bad improv. it's like i'll have it, a yeah. i'll have a tuna sandwich oh you like your sandwich with the crusts cut off yes and <laughs> i <laughs> uh, now i'm a uh, i'm a frog what <laughs> What I will say uh, about this scene, I do think, in spite of it all, I do think that Paul Walker and Jordana Brewster do have a spark of chemistry. They do. There is just a little frisson or something there. Actually, if you cut all of the dialogue and just had the pair of them making eyes at each other, it would be a much better scene. Yes, it would. And I I just think the fact that Dom tolerates Vince is baffling to me. Because not Mm -hmm. only is he a liability because he's crackers and will just beat up a man in the street for ordering a tuna sandwich, but he also... Mm -hmm absolutely doesn't give a fuck about Vince persistently sexually harassing his sister who he's very protective of yes that doesn't make any sense to me it's like what is Mm -hmm. this code like surely the Mm -hmm. code is that it's like his sister is out of bounds well there's there's a thing about sleeping with sisters because there's a line a little bit later on um after uh, uh, is it uh, Johnny Tran comes and blows yeah. up Paul Walker's car oh yeah yeah and they're sort of they're standing there amidst the wreckage and uh, Paul Walker's like, what's that all about? Oh, yeah. And Vin says the following. <laughs> A business deal that went sour. Plus, I made the mistake of sleeping with his sister. <laughs> I watched the trailer for this film before watching it. That was a line that they felt was zingy enough for the trailer. Well, I mean, it is sizzling dialogue. I'm sure you'll agree. It is scintillating stuff. <laughs> Well, shall we have a little chat about some of our favourite lines and see if we can work out a favourite? I mean, it's, it's the, uh, there, hmm, there's <laughs> there's a, there's a very strange exchange here. It's not it's not really a problem with the dialogue. More there's a a, a weird bum line reading. Um, <laughs> so there's an exchange between I, th- I th- presume it was uh, Jordana Brewster and maybe Vince. I guess she says, "Can I get you anything?" And his response is, "You look good," which oh. you know is is the response to "Can I get you anything?" How he delivers it, she says, she says, can I get you anything? He says, you look good. Which is a completely different thing. It's like it's like two different conversations happening. I'm like, what? Mm. Like that is that's that's basic, basic, basic stuff. What he's managed to do is accidentally, by not being able to deliver the line correctly, turn his character into a total simpleton. <laughs> <laughs> So what are, what are, what are some of your other favourites? Uh, I like um, <clears throat> it's not how you stand by your car; it's how you race your car. You need to learn it. <laughs> I think we might have just written exactly the same lines down because I've got <laughs> I've got what is he sandwich crazy, and then I've got it's not yeah. how you stand by your car; it's how you race your car. <laughs> It's like, surely, <laughs> yes, obviously. Yes, that, but this is racing. This is a movie about racing. <laughs> I like uh, I smell 
skanks. Yeah. Why don't you girls pick? Why don't you girls pack it up before I leave tread marks on your face? <laughs> so great. That was Michelle Rodriguez, I think. Yeah, it was. It was <laughs> with her amazing stink face. Yeah, it was exactly. Yeah. One of my absolute favorites, not because of the delivery or anything like that, just because I love. It's one of the many things about this film that places it in a very specific place in time. Vin Diesel, you can find anything on the web. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so that coupled with the uh the soundtrack um to the first kind of street race meet being rolling yeah yeah it was like oh, was like, oh man limp biscuit on the soundtrack hello hello it must be the early noughties <laughs> i was quite i was quite fond of you can have any brew you want so long as it's corona uh, the second half of that is uh because that's who paid for the product placement. Yes. I was watching something online that mentioned the fact that clearly they shot the scene at the barbecue before they tied up the finer details of the Corona product placement deal because all of the <laughs> yeah. bottles of beer on the table are fa- the labels facing away from shop. Like, really, obviously. <laughs> oh, By rights, we should be drinking Coronas. <laughs> I nearly got Coronas as well. I didn't think about uh, it. Yeah. Um, my, uh, one of my other favourite lines is uh, the line in which Vin Diesel refers to a motorbike as a crotch rocket. Sure. I, that made me laugh a lot. <laughs> Doesn't matter if you win by an inch or a mile, winning's winning. Bit of philosophy there for you. Love that. That's quite deep, actually. It is, yeah. <laughs> I also quite like, I think it's uh, I think it's the FBI agent. That's the Paul Walker. You want time? Buy the magazine. We don't have time. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy the FBI guy because he is that wonderful archetype of films mm-hmm. like this. Yes. The completely without any motivation being a problem and getting in the way of the uh, the action. It's like yeah, just being sort of needlessly antagonistic from his very first appearance. Yeah, like but like counterproductively so to surely what his motivation is. It doesn't make any sense for that character to be as abrasive as he is or get in the way. He's there to represent the difficult choice that Paul Walker has to make between his job and the crew, Mm. the team. The abrasiveness makes the choice less difficult, doesn't it? It's completely artificial, as well as that ticking clock. You've got 36 hours. Why? So what, 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 what do we call them? Around here? I'm pretty sure we call them ticking time clocks, don't we? (laughs) (laughs) I completely forgot about that. What film are we talking about with the ticking time clock? Um, It was in uh, My Cousin Vinny. Ah, the ticking time clock. (laughs) The ticking time clock. Yeah, he's there to um, enforce a absolutely pointless ticking time clock because the film needs one, you know? Can we just take a moment to yeah. um, just pull apart the log? Like, surely they could have come up with a different name for the big race in the desert than race. <laughs> <laughs> race wars, because race wars. Well, the thing is, so much so like that early early meeting at the race. It sort of very much followed that trope in American movies. 
where everything is divided along racial lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've got you've you've got the black guys, you've got the Latino guys, and you've got the white guys all sort of separate from each other and in these little separate factions. And yeah, race wars. Uh, yeah, and you've got the and you've got the Asian guys as well. Yeah, Jenny yeah. The, the 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 turf yeah. war um, between uh-huh. the the Asian motorcycle gang and mm-hmm. Vin Diesel's gang, and it's like surely someone at some point during any stage of the process of making this film could have pointed out that calling the big race race wars was a really bad idea. Um, no. I think, I think they think that's layers. <laughs> I think they think that's like hidden meanings and alternative race wars, man. That's what America's all about. It's about race wars. I like wow. honestly, I think I think I think somebody thinks it's real fucking clever. It is like a teenager. It's like a teenager did it. Mm-hmm. It's so funny. It is. But like it is. so many people okayed it. So many people went to see it and then went to see more of them afterwards. Do you think that part of the reason this film is successful is because it, it, it's shit? Like, do people enjoy watching it because it's a bit shit? Like, is it the kind no, of film? I don't think so. Do you think people think this is a good film? I think people who are into it, I think, are just like, yeah, they're really into it. It's like, you know, it's, I like this. I this think, I mean, I would really love to, I wish that I could, like, you know, in The Matrix where you plug in and suddenly, you know, Kung Fu. I wish that I could, like, mm-hmm. really quickly watch all of them so I don't actually have to sit and watch them back. So I can just go, like, yeah. quick, watch them to see. You sort of consume them, like, uh, like Johnny Five reading books in the bookshop. Exactly, like that. And, like, so that I could then say, oh, yeah, no, but, um, like, the third one, is really good because it like the tone totally changes and actually the the, the characters become fleshed mm. out and it's less of a kind of wet dream. Have you watched any of the others, Ed? No. Yeah. So I, I watched it in DVD format. I went to CEX to ah uh, yes yeah, to see if they had a copy and uh, they did have a copy for like a quid or they had a box set of the first four films for two quid and I was like, well, y- yeah. So maybe I'll watch the other ones at some point and uh... I tell you what I um would love to know. Is- is if you had to predict what happens mm. in the subsequent nine films in this franchise, like what, where did, where, right. where could they possibly go with it? We're speaking as two people who don't know. I assume that each subsequent film is essentially the same film, but bigger and in a different location, and some of them have the rock in. Jason Momoa pops up as well at some point, doesn't he? I think so. Yeah, I think so. But I think I think they will largely be the same film. But but bigger. So there'll be Vin Diesel and his extended family of dickheads doing their racing, and there will be uh, the antagonistic forces of police and probably organised crime, and there will be betrayals and you know it's like, it's like it's like watching a shit episode of EastEnders because <laughs> it's, it's it's all about family, and there'll be a sort of hollow betrayal that kind of doesn't mean very much and do you know what though it's interesting because that yeah again like i said i mean maybe i'm going back over ground we've already covered but i thought that this film was going to be about family and the kind of family principle Mm -hmm. but vin diesel fucked off at the end on his own and the family the family element didn't matter at all the betrayal Mm. that um paul walker was a cop wasn't really to do with like familial closeness or like your found family and all of that kind of stuff. It was to do with like, shit, you're a cop. 
you're going to get me. And I've just, and I've said I'll never go back to prison. My prediction for the franchise actually is that um, the criminal gang that are doing all these heists, because they are such phenomenal drivers, somehow end up having to work for the government or like special ops. Like, you know, um, in Armageddon, where it's like, oh, the unlikely ragtag bunch of oil drillers of oil drillers are the ones who've got to go to space. It's like, ah, the unlikely ragtag bunch of criminals <laughs> have actually got to work for the like the government are like, yeah, we'll give you we'll wipe your records clean and we won't send you to prison if you do this job for us. Mm. Stop these nuclear war baddies. That's a bit of a theme in David Ayer's career. Oh, is like it? Having done Suicide Squad, which oh, is yeah. that, it's about a bunch of criminals press ganged into government service. Um, uh, as I say, he's working on a Dirty Dozen remake. That's the same thing. It's a bunch of hardened criminals that are press ganged into government service during the war uh, to go on a suicide mission, essentially. Right, right. Oh, it's great. I, 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 you'd, you'd love the Dirty Dozen. you go got to watch it. Oh, it's great fun. I must watch it's it. It's really, really good. The problem is, the problem is with this film... Mm-hmm. Oh God, there's so many problems with this film. <laughs> there are so many points at which you just like, okay, I, I understand from the beats of it because I've watched a film before. I understand that sort of rhythmically or whatever, this is quite, what's just happened here is quite important. But the problem is I don't care about any of you. <laughs> and this seems like this could be solved quite easily. But yeah, hit the brakes. It ever feel like there are any stakes it like it feel it all feels really low stakes and i don't know why like cuz i mean yeah the it sh- it should feel quite high stakes there's mm. cars getting blown up there's there's people doing drive-bys on the motorbike there's a betrayal at the heart of it there's a guy who's infiltrating this family and you know pretending to be something he's not all of the ingredients are there for really great drama but for some reason it just doesn't or at least for me it just doesn't land i can't quite put my finger on why it might just be because all of the characters are so petty and pathetic i don't know you know how we were talking last time we recorded that you'd watch watched um the phantom menace because you needed to watch something boring while you did your taxes oh, yeah. um i don't think that made it into the edit it, so it, um, it didn't yeah for the, so for for the listeners while doing my taxes i had on uh, star wars episode one the phantom menace this is because when i do my taxes i need to have something on in the background it needs to be something that won't distract me too much um because if it does distract me too much then it takes me four times as long to do them the Phantom Menace is worse than I remember. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> the, uh, like you said, you pointed out that there is, most of the film is people standing around in rooms talking about like trade law. And it's actually yeah. quite boring. And it's like, well, that's kind of what this film is. You go for the fast cars, but you actually have to wade through a lot of very boring chat about car parts where it's like one tidbit about somebody basically then has to represent their entire personality. Jesse has got ADHD. So that is his entire personality. Then there's Vince, who's the furious one, and that's his entire personality. Michelle Rodriguez is the woman. That's her entire personality. Why they all kept coming back, I mean, presumably for the pay cut, but, you know, it's like, why why do they all keep going back to this shit? In that article, the Vibe article, that was the inspiration for it, he keeps talking about, like, there is no better feeling in the world than those 10 seconds where you're going that fast. And it's like, okay, so I at least want the film to transport me into that 
feeling to try and give me something approaching that feeling, that adrenaline. But it, those, the racing sequences look like shit. <laughs> the graphics are terrible and confusing. It's almost like they go into a sort of dream sequence. You know what I've just realised? When I was doing the maths earlier and I came out with 90 miles an hour, Yeah, that's right, but that's an average over the 10 seconds. Ah, okay. So it starts from naught, and wherever it gets to at the end of that 10 seconds, the average from naught to that number is 90. So yeah, it probably does get up to like 160. Yeah, yeah. Well, Vin Diesel well, says that mad. his dad crashed going 120 miles an hour. So right? yeah. Yes. yes, that's right. Yeah. Something like that. I think it's like, ah, what we need to make Paul Walker start to go, ah, this guy, he's actually, he's grey areas. It's not black and white. He's not a baddie. He's, he's good. So like, ah, I know. We'll give him a kind of bleeding heart tragic backstory. Except that the bleeding heart tragic backstory is you had a dad who drove like a knobhead and killed himself mm-hmm. by driving like a knobhead. Yeah. So you're also going to drive like a knobhead. What? You've missed out an important bit of the story. So the story went, I had a dad who was a knobhead who drove like a knobhead. Yeah. Actually, no, uh, I think he was a legitimate racer, actually, I think, in the story. Oh, yeah, okay. So he was he was driving and somebody he, uh, clipped, clipped the back yeah. of the car or something and he spun off into the wall. And so the dad died. But then the next thing is that Vin Diesel beat the shit out of the guy who clipped his dad in the car with a fucking spanner, I think it was, or something like that. Tire iron, or I don't know. Some yeah. some tool. And this is supposed to make Paul Walker go, ah. Oh, wow. I get you, man. Well, because he says, he's like, oh yeah, I did I did a couple of years in prison. And it's like, then we find out, ah, the reason he did a couple of years in prison is because he was taking vengeance. And it's like, oh, yes. so it's understandable and justified and totally, and actually, oh no, you're a good guy now, I get it. It's like, no, sorry, you're still a violent criminal. The scene before, Paul Walker had been shown a photograph of this guy that Vin Diesel had beaten up, lost an eye and just scars all up his face. And it's the very next scene after that where we get the story of that. Okay. He didn't want to just maybe feed that in a bit earlier and then no, no okay you just you just they just did one draft i think uh they just went oh okay yeah no so now we do this and then in the next scene well yeah that will explain that and great so you're set up at the beginning with there's a group of people doing this heist but then the whole way through the film paul walker's trying to work out who it is and it's like okay we think maybe at first it might be these guys then we think it might be these guys and the whole way through it's like the fbi guys are saying it's vin diesel it's vin diesel it's vin diesel and he's like no man he's a good guy because he tells people not to eat chicken too quickly and mm-hmm. and yeah. what but then at the end you find out that no 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 dom's crew are the criminals which i think is supposed to be a bit of a reveal but presumably i mean logically you're supposed to have grown to love these people so that you're a bit like oh no i kind of understand where they're coming from and actually i sort of hope that they don't get done but it's like no 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 i think i i think i probably want them all to go to prison yeah I would like them to get some consequences. They're bad people, but it isn't even that glamorous. It's not like Ocean's Eleven where you sort of are rooting for them. The rewards for what they're doing don't justify the enormous risks they're taking and the enormous danger they're putting other people in. And I judge Paul Walker's character by getting sucked in. I'm like, sorry, are you me? Are you talking, having the same conversations that I'm watching you have? He's an idiot. The character is an idiot. And we're supposed to think that um, Johnny Tran and his gang are like the really evil ones. But actually, they're just like, you crossed the line and came onto our turf, mm. and then they get raided. Oh, the the raid scene? 
I sell a little much in it. That music. That music. But also, Johnny Tran's just sitting there having dinner with his family in his house. And it's like 30 of these guys burst in with machine guns and body armor and... Um, Paul Walker's with him. I don't I don't know this for sure, but I would be surprised if an undercover officer, no matter how good the uh, balaclava that they're wearing for the raid is, I'm not entirely sure that they would uh, send the officer on that raid. Surely it not. Make much sense no, to me it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense. I have to say the person who wins the film for me is um the character of Lance, who is Johnny Tran's cousin we are introduced to this character because he's the chap who's wearing snakeskin trousers and i did think for a moment is that just going to be there and they're not going to say anything about it but then they did mention it and i was like okay good i'm glad that this is a thing in the film he's not just a man wearing snakeskin trousers um but then he's got a couple of really good lines and his like he's made some proper choices about this character uh, Paul Walker's rescued Dom from the cops and then they get pulled over by the motorcycle gang and the um, Lance steps off the bike in his leather trousers and then they're looking at Brian's green car and Johnny Tran's like what do you think Lance and Lance says like it's a magnificent machine but he delivers it like deadpan like a psycho and I just really appreciate the choices that that guy's made he's taken a turd and polished it to the best of his ability. <laughs> Reggie Lee plays Lance. Congratulations, Reggie. You win the Fast and the Furious. You won the film for me, <laughs> certainly. You took those leather trousers and you turned them into a real character. I'd like to talk about that bit of the film a little bit. Okay, so they do the race, and then, oh, the police come. Oh, terrifying. Everybody scatters. And then Paul Walker saves Vin Diesel from the police. Great. And then, yeah, they oh, get accosted by the guys on the motorcycles, and then the car gets blown up, and they have to make their way back home. Okay, so they get back to Vin Diesel's home. Oh, man, this scene. And there's a party going on, yeah? So they... <laughs> They go in and Furious Lance is furious because Paul Walker's arrived and he's like, what the fuck's that buster doing here? And Vin Diesel's like, hey, that buster's the reason I'm not in handcuffs. <laughs> and then Vin Diesel goes over to Furious Lance, says, is this beer yours? Lance is like, yeah. He takes it off him and then goes and takes it and gives it to Paul Walker. Like, this is your reward for saving me from the police, Paul Walker. This already open, probably swigged from bottle of Corona. It's symbolic. Get the man a fresh beer, for Christ's sake. But it's symbolic. It's the symbolic transference of his affection. Also, sorry, there is so much about this party that I want to unpick. My question is, how old are these people supposed to be? I don't know, because they all look 35. So why are they having a party like a group of 14-year-olds? Lance is playing the electric guitar at a woman, one of the least appealing things that anyone can do there's people there's like four people grinding Mm. on each other it looks like a student house how old are these people supposed to be like it's like a family home do they all live there no because they all have to turn up in their cars i don't understand the setup of this family unit and like who wants to live like this what is appealing about this to paul walker who is a professional policeman type of person but also does paul walker sleep in the shop that he works in i don't know yes yeah because when he has his he has his um fling with mia he goes on his date with mia and then she ends up staying the night and he answers the phone the camera zooms in through all of the displays in the shop to this back room where he's got a bed with a load of 
car posters taped above his bed. Like, how old are these people supposed to be? And what are these... Who are these women who are attracted to these people? I think everybody in this film is 14. <laughs> like, everybody involved in it is 14. It, it's, yeah, there's a serious case of arrested development amongst the writers and probably the director too. And yeah, I don't think anybody comes out of this very well. So the, the article... Uh, the original article is about street racing in New York, but they've set this movie in uh, sort of the Los Angeles area. Why do you think they made that decision? I've got my own ideas. Uh, I have no idea. I got actually, it's a one-word idea. Go on, bikini. <laughs> it's a lot easier to show babes in bikinis if your film is in LA it's than true. if it's in cold and wet New York. I'm pretty sure that's the only reason. Yeah, yeah. I think that is a searing insight, Ed. I absolutely agree with you. Yeah, so do, uh, so does, does that twist work as a twist for you? I mean, it didn't work for me because I knew going in that he was an undercover cop because all of the bump that you ever read about it, like the synopsis, even on IMDb, is like, undercover cop Brian, whatever his name is. I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, you don't want to... Yeah, you don't want that to be a surprise. Yeah, no, um, I think that if I hadn't known, I think that would have been a really pleasing reveal. And I do actually quite like the pacing of that reveal. Like, I like that we find out when we do, and I really like the way in which we find out. I think that that is actually really really well done. I did wonder if you meant the twist and is it even a twist that when we find out that actually Dom and his crew are the ones who are hijacking these trucks? Ah, yes. Because I think the film had been trying to steer us towards thinking it isn't him actually i wondered if we were going to get to a point where it was going to be paul walker trying to prove their innocence to be honest i didn't really think about that because i just didn't care who was doing the heists no so yeah i mean the ending dom goes free uh, and paul walker walks away from an explosion what happens he lets he lets him go with this got it's, it's weirdly sort of drawn out the climax of the film yeah so we've got race wars which I feel like that should be the climax of the movie. That's what it's sort of leading to. But it isn't. The lad with ADHD loses his race, so he's got to... Uh, but, so he drives off. Ah. And yeah, Race Wars ends. Fine. And then... Johnny Tran does a drive-by shooting. Oh, ah! Hang on, we're not quite there yet. So yeah, so Race Wars happens, but Vin Diesel ain't at Race Wars because he's off doing a heist. <gasps> That's what happens. Um, they, yeah, um, they all leave to go and do the heist and Paul Walker reveals to Mia that he's a cop and is like, only you can help me save them because I now know that the truckers have become like vigilante wild men and they're, they're going to fight back and they're in danger. So you need to take me to them. It's sort of like a video game. Right. <laughs> got, you've got your sort of truck driving baddies early on and you can sort of dispatch them and deal with that. That's fine. But then a little later stage in the game, oh my God, they've suddenly got guns. <laughs> They're, they're faceless, completely faceless. They're just faceless drivers in, in vans who have got either baseball bats a little bit earlier on or they've got shotguns now. And yeah, there's a sort of that escalation that you find in video games. A lot of it felt like video games. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like a lot of the race sequences, like with the when the when the nitrous gets used and all that. You can almost see the charge bar going up to the point where you could yeah, then hit can. it. Yeah, yeah. Whereas this one, one of the races during Race Wars, the two cars are going... And one of the guys uses his nitrous and the guy in the other car goes, huh, 
too early in this sort of really nerdy kind of way. It's like, <laughs> I know that it's based on reality, but even the idea of having a special gas in a canister next to your head where you can press a special red button on your steering wheel and it boosts you. It's like crash team racing. Do you know what I mean? It's ridiculous. Boys and their toys. Boys and their toys. Yeah, anyway, so they do a heist and that all goes wrong. And Well, um... so they do a heist and Paul Walker turns up and Vince gets his arm all smashed up and it's terrible, but Paul Walker basically saves Vince and in saving Vince reveals to Dom that he's a cop and there's a big betrayal yes. and then they all disperse and then he goes to Dom's house where there's like, there's going to be a big showdown, but then there's a drive by and Jesse gets shot up by Johnny Tran. And then how do we get to the end? In separate vehicles, they speed off in pursuit of the drive by guys. To be honest, the first time I watched it, I fell asleep at this bit. Uh, So then, yeah, I I watched it the second time and was like, oh, that's what happened there. Fine. Killed him. But then that leads to Dom and Paul Walker racing. They have a little bit of a race. They race each other. And it's like, all of this stuff between them, all this shit between them that's quite dramatic is going to be resolved by them racing towards a train track with a train coming. Okay, they both make it across the finish line, which is them not getting hit by a train. And Vin Diesel is driving the car that was his dad's car that he could never drive because he was too scared to drive it, but he finally gets over it and is able to drive it. Well, yeah, Vin crashes though, doesn't he? And I think I think the same thing happens to him that happened to his dad. I think, I think like the rear gets clipped or something. I'm not sure, can't remember now. Uh, but yeah, he crashes, so he's got no car anymore. And then the police are coming, you got the sirens. And so Paul Walker gives him the car, gives him his car. And he says, I owe you a 10 second car, because that was the whole thing in there. Little meet cute at the at the race at the start, wasn't it? I mean, I find that uh, an entirely unsatisfactory ending. I was surprised when the credits happened. I was like, oh, is that it? And even the post credit sting just infuriated me even more than if there hadn't been one. Describe to me the post credit sting. He's just driving around Mexico, is he? Yeah, he's driving along in Mexico. You see, you see beautiful Mexican kind of coastline beautiful mexican town beautiful sunset you see you know the tires of the car going round and you hear the voiceover of vin diesel saying like i live my life a quarter of a mile at a time like in those 10 seconds it's just me and i'm free and he's in the car on his own michelle uh, rodriguez isn't there with him he's on his own driving along in mexico quite happy okay so yeah, we get a sort of reprise of the speech that he gave earlier. Um, that is sort of the thesis of the movie, I guess. Thesis of the movie, but it's a shit thesis. It's like, well, just fuck you then, Vin Diesel. Drive into the sea. Uh, yeah, it's an utterly empty kind of philosophy. I live my, my I live my life a quarter mile at a time. I, I had no idea what he meant by that. No, I was like, that doesn't feel like very far. <laughs> <laughs> He must be like refreshing constantly. It's like quarter of a mile, right next thing, quarter of a mile, right next thing. Oh God, right. <laughs> Is there anything else that we need to say about the Fast and the Furious? No. I think I think we're done, aren't we? I feel like we probably are. <laughs> this film is nonsense. It's nonsense. Um, Do you know what? Like, I quite enjoyed it in a weird way. I enjoyed it because I sat and I watched it with Richard and we were both, the whole way through, we were just like, what is happening? What is this dialogue? This is ridiculous. I think... I would never watch it again, but I'm glad I've seen it. And I wouldn't be averse to watching the others. But only in that context. Only in a slightly kind of like sleepover. Let's get a pizza in and have a laugh at a daft film and sort of sort of look at our phones while we sort of have it on, you know? Yeah, I would agree with you. But I think there are so many other films that I would rather do that to. Yeah, I, yeah. I could list off the top of my head 10 yeah. right now. Con Air, Face Off. 
Demolition Man. Fuck. Yeah, almost anything with Sylvester Stallone, actually. Even his, like his, his, which I've said before, is a guilty pleasure of mine, if I believed in guilty pleasures. Um, his uh, Judge Dredd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's terrible, but I would rather watch that again than The Fast and the Furious. Well, I have to say, another film, which, and it did occur, it did cross my mind that it's a pick this as the next film, but it, it's, it occupies too, too similar a space. But, mm. um, for me, a very, very similar film tonally, but superior in every way and unashamedly completely fucking stupid. Gone in 60 seconds. Oh, sure. Yeah, actually, that's more fun. It's got actual Giovanni Ribisi in it rather than fake Giovanni Ribisi as well. Yeah, did you feel like The Fast and Furious took itself really seriously? Oh, yeah. Like, you got to play this stuff straight you've yeah. got to you know commit to it but I, th- I think it took itself really se- it was weirdly po-faced it felt like a vanity project it was it's it was a weird tone really weird tone and i can only assume that the later films lean into the daft a bit more and start to maybe laugh at, laugh at itself a little bit more which is probably why it's had this kind of enduring appeal because if, if all of them were a bit po-faced it's like you know the room which is a shit film that, but it's pleasurable to watch it because it's shit. But like, can't, I can't watch too much of it. No, it's best consumed in bite-sized bite-sized chunks. chunks, and that's what it would yeah. be like with Fast and the Furious if it carried on taking itself too seriously. It's like I can laugh at this, but laughing at something that isn't in on the joke is only pleasurable for a small amount of time. Otherwise, you just start to feel like you're punching down. And I think the Fast and the Furious, I can only assume that it starts to laugh at itself as well, so that it's inviting you to laugh at it as well. Do you know what I mean? Or maybe there just are enough people who like cars this much in the world to go and see these films. I think there might be. All right. If we've got nothing else to say about it, should we play the game? The game. So, um, Ed, uh, I would like to hear first your speculations about what I would have chosen and your pick for what you'd have chosen. And then I'll let you know what we're going to be watching. Okay. um, So I'll start with uh, what I would have chosen. And there's a bunch of options. But I think... I would have followed Vin Diesel and we would have watched our first animated movie and we would have watched The Iron Giant. If I had chosen The Fast and the Furious, that's what I would have put my money on you having chosen. Amazing. Yeah, very good. I mean, no, no prize for that because obviously that's not the way around we're doing it. But yeah, um, you on the other hand, probably not this, but as far as I'm concerned, there's, there's only one option that I would think that you would pick. And I reckon uh, we're... Following Buffalo Bill and watching Science of the Lambs. I really thought about it. I really thought about it, but I just thought, are we not? I'm not ready yet. And also, I think because our previous connection was an actor, so I kind of wanted to steer us away from following an actor. So um, I had a few different thoughts. I did first of all think about following kind of driving as a theme, um, and I did think, oh, should we watch Drive? Because I actually haven't revisited it since the first time I watched it. And I would quite like to. I remember really enjoying it. But no, we're not doing that. Uh, So I was having a little look at the cast and crew, trying to find out a bit more about them. And I was looking at the IMDb profile for Rob Cohen, who is the director. Rob Cohen is one of these um, people who he's a director, he's a writer, he's a producer, and he loves to make cameos in his own films. So we are going to have a look at a film by another writer, director, producer, and actor. I did did wonder about doing a Hitchcock who famously loved to make cameos in his films. But we aren't doing a Hitchcock. We're actually going to um, plug a gap in my film watching knowledge because uh, we're going to find finally watch a film that I've been meaning to watch for ages and haven't ever got round to. You may probably be aware that 
uh, M. Night Shyamalan loves to make cameo appearances in his films. So we're going to watch Unbreakable. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I think we'll have a lovely chat about Unbreakable, actually. Yeah, I think that's going to be good for I don't know anything about it. Yeah, when you said M. Night Shyamalan, my heart sank. Where did you think I was going to take you? Oh, God, I thought we were going to be watching The Happening or something. I would never inflict The Happening on you. I've got a, a, <laughs> a sort of masochistic curiosity to watch Lady in the Water. Although by all accounts, <laughs> that's very bad. I really like The Village. Um, It's available to watch on Disney Plus for anyone with a Disney Plus subscription or it is available to rent in all the usual places. All that remains to say is thank you very, very much for joining us for this episode of The Unbreakable Movie Chain. I've had a blast, Ed. I don't know about you. Oh, it's been It's been a treat. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I think the last two hours have been much more entertaining than the two hours I spent watching Fast and Furious. I heartily heartily agree. Um, mm. If you have enjoyed what you've heard, please do like us, rate us, subscribe, set the podcast to auto download, and please do spread the word. Do also get in touch with us through any of the social medias or our email address, all of which you'll find in the show notes for this episode. Uh, and indeed all the episodes. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. We love you. Love you lots. Bye-bye. <laughs> goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>